How are you doing, my self-improver? It is Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development, one tip at a time. Man, I am super excited about this one. It is time for a self-improvement sit-down. I still don't understand it. I get to have high-level conversations with people who are leading the world and their industries. I am so grateful for these moments, and I hope you're enjoying them too. The self-improvement sit-downs are a little different than the weekday, two-minute, actionable personal development tips I usually share. We go into way more detail and hear incredible stories of transformation and growth that we get to relate and apply within our own lives. As for this conversation, the bottom line is, I'm just a huge fan of the woman I chat with today. She's doing incredible work, and I always learn something new when she's talking. Without further ado, this is self-improvement sit-down number 25 with Vanessa Van Edwards. And we are live. Today's guest is someone I've really been looking forward to talking to. Her name is Vanessa Van Edwards. She's a behavioral investigator that has dedicated her life to studying people. She has a YouTube channel with over 20 million views. She has a brilliant TEDx talk with over 2 million views and a national best-selling book titled Captivate. She's also the founder of Science of People, pioneering industry-leading research and educating people on how to better understand each other. Vanessa has come a long way. She describes herself as a recovering awkward person, but she's helped so many people with her work and it's only the beginning. It's truly a privilege, Vanessa. Thank you for taking the moment. I'm excited to learn more from you. Let's jump into it. Thanks for having me. (laughs) No, it really is an honor. I've enjoyed your work. And I mean, I think people are so complex that you being able to distill it down into something that's actually usable and repeatable is something that a lot of people are benefiting from. And you truly are the leader in this space. It's really an accomplishment. And uh, notice how I'm uh, taking a few tips from your book right now, complimenting you. So I just want (laughs) to just mention that up front. Hey, Um, I love it. Just keep them coming. I love it. Exactly. Yeah. Feed feed the beast. (laughs) No, but um, yeah, no jokes aside. um, Let's take it all the way back uh, for you, kind of in your discovery phase of, you know, this mission and this purpose that you're serving in the world. Um, and just kind of talk about human nature and your fascination. Like, what is it um, about the way that people behave that fascinates you so much where you've dedicated your life to understanding it? Yeah, you know, I I don't know if anyone else listening has had this experience, but for a m- big part of my life, I felt like I would walk into rooms or I'd walk into a classroom or I'd walk into a meeting and I felt like everyone had gotten a rule book that I just hadn't got, mm-hmm. that everyone had somehow learned the art of chit chat, had somehow learned where to put their hands during a conversation, had somehow figured out how to operate in a party or a networking event. And I was just missing these skills. And what I realized when I started to try to educate myself on this is that most social skills books, people skills books, conversation books are written by extroverts. So if you look at some of the quintessential ones, like Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, amazing book, but written by an extrovert. And I realized that the reason why a lot of these weren't working for me is because if you're not a natural extrovert, and I'm actually an ambivert, so I'm somewhere in between introvert and extrovert. I can dial it up in some situations, um, but I need a lot of recharge time. If you're not a natural extrovert and you have an extrovert who says things to you like, say yes to every social opportunity or just be yourself or um, 
be interested to be interesting. Those all sound really great, but when it comes to actually applying them in an event where you are filled with nerves, have a little bit of social anxiety, and most importantly, feel like you have nothing important to say, those tips don't work. And so what I wanted to set out to do was write helpful tips for ambiverts, for introverts, and for awkward extroverts where we really desperately want to connect, but we're just missing a couple of the fundamental tools. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't realize that there was such a void in the literature. I mean, it makes sense because the people who enjoy others, you know, as extroverts, I, I mean, I guess it's a little different uh, definition there, but those who typically enjoy spending time with others and are energized by that, of course, they're going to dedicate their life's work to understanding people because that's kind of in their sweet spot. So there is that kind of natural transition of, people who are introverts not necessarily leading the work in this space. So that's that's very interesting how you kind of backed into that expertise because you're right, not many people are uh, are really pursuing that. And that's that's something that's special to you and that's why the angle that you provide is so valuable. And I also I think I think also it's about belonging. Like I think, you know, so many people who are also recovering awkward people, um, they have felt this deep sense of do I belong here? Do people like me? Am I, do I sound stupid right now? Like those are the questions that go in our head constantly when we're in social situations. And when I started talking about it, that I was having those too. And even though you couldn't tell from the outside because I was smiling or, you know, I was acting like an extrovert, I actually was incredibly anxious. And once I started talking about that, it, it's been incredible to see how many people also feel that same mm -hmm. way. Yeah, I actually just had Mark Metry on the podcast because his book came out, Screw Being Shy. So it's, I mean, this is a perfect kind of uh, elaboration on that concept of, you know, like people really do feel these real emotions and it's not always something that is in the public eye in terms of people understanding how others are feeling. So that's, that's a very interesting kind of tie into uh, discovering more about people because you want to have confidence and, you know, our inner critic is so loud sometimes that um, we feel like everyone's got it figured out. Like you said, um, you thought that there was a rule book that everyone read and you didn't, you know, like there is this kind of difference in the way people are interacting and kind of that self-awareness of how you're um, showing up to people. So I'm, I'm glad that there are some of these really reliable um, things that you can do to be perceived uh, better by people. And to even like, cause you know, some people they're so like, we'll get into different like makeups of people, but everyone kind of has their own way of displaying themselves. And a lot of people are very analytical. So the kind of your analytical and tactical approach is something that is received well by these introverts who are trying to relate with people. So I, I think it, again, it's just such an interesting angle and I'm glad that you're hitting it. And, and I'm curious, so after, you know, cause you have gone top to bottom on understanding people. So after diving a little deeper into our inner makeup and our tendencies, what were you most surprised to learn was true just in general about people? Just something that's kind of surprised you. I think that what really surprised me, there was an experiment I did many, many years ago, and it was based on a fight that I had with one of my friends. So uh, one of my friends loves, loves, loves going to fortune tellers. And um, I would always say to her, they're not real. No one can actually tell your fortune. You create your fortune, right? And so we got in this huge argument and she's like, no, 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 it's so true. And I was like, and she also would love reading, um, what do you call those? The In the back of the newspaper where you read horoscope. Like, horoscope, horoscope. She loved, yes, she loved reading horoscopes. And I'd say, oh, like Jennifer, it's not real. Not that her name is Jennifer. <laughs> mm, 
yeah. So anyway, I got a huge argument with her and it inspired uh, an experiment that I did where I wrote a horoscope that I believed would be true for almost every single person who would read it. Because the truth is that there are these universal truths that sound really specific, but actually are quite uh, universal. And we all think that we're really unique. So I wrote this fortune and um, I uh, put it in envelopes. So I had all of my girlfriends come over and I put an envelope for each person with their name on the front. So my friend Jennifer had one, Gwen had one, Sarah had one, everyone had one. Now, they were all the same, just to be clear. So their fortunes were exactly the same, but everyone had their own envelope with their own name on it. This is a very small experiment, but it uh, absolutely proved a truth. And I was so curious what happened. So I had everyone sit around in a circle so they couldn't see each other's fortunes. And I said, okay, I've written a fortune for each one of you based on your personality data, on your body language, a whole bunch of made up stuff, right? I may, I made it based on your hair color and your nail color and your eye color and your personality, just to make it sound like I had done something scientific. And I said, I've written this fortune for you. I would like you to open it. I would like you to read it. And then on your hand, I want you to hold up how accurate you think that this is for you. One being, I'm so off base. Who is this person? And five being, oh my gosh, Vanessa, you nailed it. You got it. So right. So everyone opens it up. They read it. One of my friends started to cry because it was so accurate. <laughs> That's how intense that it was for her. So she started to cry. My other friends all began to hold up their hands with fours and fives. Wow. Every single person around the circle gave it a four or a five. Wow. I was That's totally so interesting. I, I mean, because you- I could not believe that everyone felt like this fortune was them, even though it was totally universal. I, I think that's so interesting. I mean, like when it comes to horoscopes and fortunes, at least in my opinion, like there's this huge element of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So anytime I read it, I'm like, oh yeah, like of course that applies for anyone. But what you're describing is that it genuinely applies to everyone. So it's almost like intentionally written uh, for it to have that real kind of introspective moment of like, wow, you're speaking to me. And it's so funny that people are putting up their hands and crying. Like that, is, that just goes to show how universal the truth is. And you're right. Like we think of each other as so different, but like, yeah, if you go into our DNA, it's what, like 98% the same with 2% variation. So it's like we lose sight of those similarities sometimes, which is, which is interesting. Is, do you have any like more information about that? Yeah, yeah. So um, exactly right. It's like we all think that we're so unique, but actually we all resonate with these statements. So a couple statements, and by the way, this is based on a study that has been done before about universal truths. So I took some of those truths and created a more horoscopy sounding thing. So um, I'll, I'll read it and you tell me if you're listening, if you're like, yeah, that could be me. And they sound specific, but actually really broad. Okay, here's the first one. I sense that things you really want out of life sometimes seem unrealistic, and you often wonder whether you can achieve them. Mm. I also sense that at times you are friendly, social, and outgoing with others, but at other times you're withdrawn, reserved, and cautious. Wow, that's exactly me. <laughs> <laughs> you take pride in being an independent thinker, but also know not to accept what you see and hear from others without proof. That's so funny. I mean, we literally can just like take both sides of the argument and be like, oh yeah, like I'm that way, but sometimes I'm that way. That's like totally right. You know? And, and, and the thing is, is that's everyone. So that's the, the universal truth that surprised me is that people, I, I look, I'm all for labels that can help you, right? Like, so extrovert, introvert, ambivert, that can be limiting, but it can also be helpful. What we have to understand is that all of us can adapt to being more extroverted on some days and more introverted on others. And that's, mm. I think, a truly interesting universal truth is that we are more flexible in our traits than we think. 
Right. And we we carry more of those traits than we actually identify with because it's all a spectrum, right? It's not like we're on each polar side and it's that way or the highway. Like it's it's a spectrum and we need to address that. No, I think that was such a cool little experiment. I'm glad you do that. And I'm actually, that's something I really enjoy about you is that when you when you come upon these ideas, you test them in your life, like in your TEDx, you were like, you were staring at the sky to see if it was contagious to see if other people would also look at nothing in the sky. And they did, you know, it's like, you just have this way of like creating humor in the ways that you're testing these social ticks, basically, or these social behaviors in a, in a really hands-on way. So thank, I, I think that's you. awesome about you. Thank you. It might cool. be that I take pride in being an independent thinker, but also know not to accept what I see and hear others for proof. <laughs> it, might, it might also be that. Thank you. That's, That's very and kind. That, of course. And that makes you a scientist, right? Because you got to figure it out for yourself and get your own data. That's awesome. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, cool. I would love to jump into your book because it blew my mind. It's one. It was one of my best reads of 2019. I absolutely adored it. Um, it came highly recommended for many people as well. Um, and just to quickly summarize, it's called Captivate, and it shares 14 human behavior hacks divided into three different sections. The first one is interacting with people in the first five minutes of meeting them. Uh, the next section is the first five hours spent with them, and then last, the first five days of knowing them. And selfishly, I want to focus on uh, the part I enjoyed the most, which was the second part, the first uh, five minutes, and how we actually have this way of decoding people to better relate with them. And that like people have their ways of showing up, and you can you can physically see into it and relate with them based on certain tests and kind of impressions that you can generate in a very short amount of time. Um, some of the ideas that you come upon are the five-factor ocean model. You use love languages and you use receiving values to kind of do this whole like decoding process. Could you give us a crash course, maybe starting with the ocean model of kind of how this actually can be put into effect and, and what it means about us? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's first of all, I find it fascinating that the middle section was your favorite. I love asking people how what their favorite section was. It tells me a lot about their personality. So hmm. the first section is the first five minutes. It's like first impressions, opening conversations, body language. The second section is the uh, the first five hours. So this is uh, moving from casual connections to actual friendships. And the last section is the first five days, which is building really deep long-term relationships. And I always find it really interesting because um, those of you, who, people who like the middle section, you um, are really, really into building quality relationships, not just quantity relationships, which speaks to your success and your podcast and even this conversation we're having now. So oh, I love cool. that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, um, and this that's is actually- That's not a universal truth, right? That's not, that's not something no, that anyone I can- promise. Okay. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> I promise. Awesome. Um, so I think that the most important thing to realize is there's a lot of quote unquote personality science out there or personality quizzes like Enneagram or DISC or Myers-Briggs. And actually, um, none of those are based in real science, meaning they haven't been able to be replicated. They're more like the fortune that I read earlier, where um, everyone can find a sort of truth about them. And so therefore, they can't actually replicate it reliably. This science, which is called the Big Five or Ocean, is the only personality science that's actually been replicated. So they can test it across genders and races, and they can have actual differences that not everyone relates to um, all the traits. They are not universal truths. They are specific truths. And that's something that's really important to realize that um, in these five categories, and Ocean stands for openness, how you approach new ideas, conscientiousness, how you approach details, extroversion, how you approach people, agreeableness, how you approach teamwork, and neuroticism, how you approach worry. Those are actually the five traits that you should be focusing on. And that really helped me because when I was first trying to learn how to interact with people, 
there was so much data coming into me, right? Like when I, I think about people kind of like programming language, like there was so many inputs. It was like her hair color, her job, her growing up, what words she uses, her body language, her facial expressions. Once I found that, okay, there's actually only five I have to focus on and that can tell me 90% of what I need, it made it more manageable. So when I meet people, I literally create a matrix for each person, which is what I go through in the book. Every single person in my life has a matrix. And my entire goal during a conversation is to try to fill in the blank. What's their openness? What's their conscientiousness? What's their extroversion? That not only made it fun, so I really enjoyed it, felt like I could, I could master it, but actually it gave me a sense of purpose. And this is where we get a little deeper. I realized a lot of my awkwardness, a lot of my social anxiety, a lot of my nerves before a networking event or a barbecue or a sales pitch came from not knowing what to say or worrying about an awkward silence. The moment I had the matrix, I never ran out of things to say because I always knew that I was trying to solve it. And so accidentally, I cured a lot of my conversational anxiety by just adding a purpose to my questions. Interesting. Can you give us a few examples of questions you might ask to identify if someone is open or conscientious or agreeable or neurotic? Yes. Because it's interesting. I, I went yes. through this all, of course, and I'm high conscientious, low neuroticism and pretty neutral um, outside of that. But um, I'm not, by the way, high conscientious people like section two. Okay. So I could have guessed that you are high conscientious because if you're high conscientious, you love details. Yeah. You love details about people. Yeah. And so I find that my really low conscientious folks, they're like, you know, I loved your, your middle section, but man, it was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's because they're not oriented to details. And I always say, that's fine. Get the general idea and you're good. <laughs> um, okay. Yes. So the research actually can tell you which are the hardest to read about people. So neuroticism is the hardest trait to guess. Mm. It's just people hide it very well. You can't peek into their mind to hear their worries. Um, whereas openness is one of the easier ones. So I like to start with openness and conscientiousness. My favorite question for openness is super casual. You could ask it to anyone, which is, what are you up to this weekend? <laughs> or what did you do this past weekend? A high open person will say, gosh, I don't know. You know, I was thinking of trying out this new biking trail with my wife. I thought that would be really fun. And, and there's this new restaurant down the street that I wanted to go to. And, um, you know, I was thinking of maybe um, uh, doing this new recipe. Everything's kind of trying something, exploring something, doing something new. They're really um, uh, excited about the possibilities of their weekend. Hmm. A low open person is more likely to say something like this. Oh my gosh. Um, so my wife and I, every Saturday we do uh, taco night with our kids. So we're going to do taco night. And, um, you know, I just, I just, it's like my catch up time. So we're probably just going to hang out, chill, relax at home. Um, you know, I might, um, we might watch uh, one, one of our favorite Disney movies on Sunday. Not sure yet. There's as much more about um, ritual, routine, habit. The habit restores them. The habit makes them feel better. <laughs> um, it's typical things they do. That answer will tell you almost exactly what their openness is. Very interesting. I should have let you try and guess me based on our conversation so far, but I blew that opportunity and I played my hand already. <laughs> um, what I do, I'm picturing, literally I'm picturing like when you have conversations, I'm picturing you with a notepad and just kind of like waiting for people's response. Be like, oh, so what are you doing this weekend? Judging look, you know, like writing something down. <laughs> Super funny. That was that was the first three years of my business. Yeah, <laughs> that really yeah. was. And, and people knew, like my, my friends knew that about me. And it actually was great because it, I was, I'm very transparent about being an awkward person. I think 
you know, not to get like too vulnerable or maybe even talk about the business side of things, but I think for the first few years of my career, I was desperately afraid that people would find out that I'm not charismatic hmm. because I was teaching people to be charismatic. And then I realized, wait a minute, actually, I teach people who are not charismatic to be more charismatic because I literally struggle with that myself. Mm-hmm. And so once I came out of the closet with my awkwardness, um, it really freed me. And so that's when I actually started to bring notebooks to networking events. And I would wow. literally say to people, hey, I, I'm a recovering awkward person and I study people. So do you mind if I take notes? Wow. And, and I would have the most fascinating conversations with people because they were like, oh, I'm awkward too. And then immediately we were like at level two or three of intimacy because we were just already there. So um, I share that because um, if you're awkward, if, any, if someone's listening or, or you want to get better with people, tell people that, you know, share with people that you're trying to be better with people, that you're working on your communication, that you're um, really trying to learn to be charismatic. And there's this crazy person named Vanessa who's helping you. That actually brings you closer to people than trying to secretly catalog everyone in your life. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting because as you were talking about neuroticism, like that's something that a lot of people guard. So maybe if we were more transparent about our level of neuroticism or kind of uh, a little clearer, more clear about, um, you know, where we're coming from when it comes to, you know, how worried we get and kind of how steady we are, uh, maybe that'll help other people relate to us and also change their behavior around us. You know, so I think just being authentic and genuine in today's day and age is really important regardless. But I mean, you definitely, when it comes to developing those next layers of intimacy, it's also a, a huge uh, asset as well. In, cool. In right. business then, too. In business too. Totally. Totally. Cool. And then I want to quickly touch on the receiving values too. So, um, you know, the different ways that people find value, those five ways are love, service, status, money, goods, and information. Um, I actually found myself to be a high status person, which kind of mm-hmm. surprised me. Um, and I'm still figuring out exactly what I think about that. But could you just kind of touch on how you came upon those five or or what those kind of represent for someone? Yeah. And I also want to touch on something you said that was really important, which is you're not sure how you feel about that. Hmm. I think that we, um, in our culture, in Western cultures, at least, there's sort of a best personality traits. There's a best or an acceptable value language. And so, for example, if you look at most romantic comedies, almost every single female star of romantic comedy is um, a medium conscientious, high neurotic, high extrovert, medium open, and high agreeable. Like you can actually place them on the matrix. And because of that, I find that a lot of women I work with are like, oh, you know, I'm, I, I wish I was more X. I wish I was less X. And that's because we have these meta judgments about our own personality. And so when you when you found that your um, value language is status, you also have a meta judgment of like, oh, like is that is that bad? You know, does that make me does that make me bad? It should be relationships or it should be whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I would say is please, please do these with self-compassion. That there is no right or wrong. In fact, we have to have um, a, a mix of all these traits. That's why we have amazing art. That's why we have amazing movies. That's why we have technology. You have to have on a team, I do tons of corporate trainings. You have to have on a team, a high neurotic and a low neurotic. A low neurotic gets you through a crisis. A low neurotic, there are rocks. They're the people who always um, are really stable. They're the ones in a crisis who think level-headed, they can get us through, they make us feel calm. But you have to have a high neurotic because they're the ones who get who prevent crisis from happening in the first place. They're the ones who are really good at what-if scenarios. They're the ones who fill their office with water bottles and hand sanitizer wipes and extra protein (laughs) bars. 
And so we have to have both. And so I would say just do all of these with self-compassion. There's no right or wrong. We, we have to have the balance on the team. So that's the first thing. Great um, but the second, the second thing is um, I was really, for a long time, I just focused on the, the five personality traits, the ocean that we talked about. And then I realized there was something missing. There was a piece missing there, which was about motivation that I was having employees where I could, I knew their personality traits, but still we were having a mismatch on um, how they were motivated. And I realized that's because I was treating everyone with my primary value. And this is great research hmm. done by FOA and his colleagues that looked at everyone value, places a different value on certain resources. And this is called resource theory, that all of us have a certain resource that we're always trying to gather. If you've ever played like Settlers of Catan or mm -hmm. any game like that, there's certain resources that you prize more than others. And typically this comes from our childhood, not to like go too crazy on us, but <laughs> usually we want the resource we didn't get in childhood. Sure. Typically. Sure. And so once I discovered that, it was like a, a huge light bulb moment. Now, you don't need to know this for every person in your life, but you should know this for the important people in your life, your partner, your best friend, your parents, if you're close to your parents, and your closest colleagues. Hmm. I'll give you an example. So um, I am a, a knowledge is my biggest resource, and that's because my parents went through a very, very messy divorce when I was young, and I didn't understand anything. Hmm. I didn't know where I was living. I didn't uh, know who my parents were dating and eventually married. I was really, I always felt like I didn't know enough. And my parents have told me since they often withheld knowledge from me to quote unquote, not upset me, but that actually made me feel like I didn't have control or I didn't know anything that was happening with my life. And so now I am a knowledge seeker, which hence my job. I am constantly researching knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. So on my team, I reward my employees with more knowledge. I have a very transparent company. I tell them announcements really early. I bring them in on brainstorming, me thinking that that's the best thing I can do for them. Mm. Where I had an employee who was actually status. So for her, she didn't, she was like, okay, I'm in the know but that doesn't really matter to me. To her, what was more important was her title and having frequent and regular title changes. It was having um, acknowledgement on the team. So when she did something, she wanted to make sure that everyone knew that she had done it. That was a very different way of operating for me, but I didn't realize that until I started looking into resource theory. Very, very interesting. Well, that helps decode me a little bit. Um, you know, and maybe I have some work to do kind of in my childhood. I know NLP is a good way to kind of access that. But thank you for opening up. I mean, it, it does take kind of a level of awareness to come upon that realization of like, okay, this is how I receive value. I typically share it in this way too. Maybe that's not optimized for everyone else. But that's why kind of doing the work and understanding yourself and how you can then interact with other people, why that's such an important thing for us to do, especially in leadership positions. So that's, that's incredible that you've done the work and you've implemented that with your team because it's, uh, it's definitely something that adds a, a new layer to it. I think it's also the greatest gift that we can give um, to our, our people in our life because what we're doing is we're saying, I want to know you on such a deep, deep level that I actually change the way I approach you. What a beautiful mm. thing to give to someone else. Totally. That's, I mean, that's humankind in a nutshell. I mean, we have that core need to be able to belong and love each other. And I mean, being able to understand each other is fundamental to that. So that's, that's a really good point. Thank you for mentioning that. Cool. And then I want to touch on one last thing, which is super exciting. And it kind of does tie into when we were talking about the ocean model of um, being able to have more social confidence and having some questions that you can ask people um, so that you aren't worried in social situations. And you've actually developed an app around this. It's called Conversation 
HQ. Can you tell us a little bit about what this app does and who it's for and, and what we can do about it? Yeah, of course. So this is a free app. Um, and the reason I created it was because, so I put a lot of conversation starters in my book. I have a ton of them on my website and on my YouTube channel. But the question that I kept getting asked was, do you have conversation starters for this situation? Slot networking, meetings with my kids on a date. And I was like, you know, that's true. There are certain conversation starters that work really well, depending on your situation and who you're with. And so I thought this is easy. Let me make a huge master list. Like not just, I think we have 50 on our website. I think we have 20 in the book. That's a good start. But I actually, I had hundreds. I think at the end of my master list, it was 541 conversation starters that were non-duplicate. Wow. Yeah. It was a long, long spreadsheet. And so my team and I sat and started to categorize which ones for were for which situation. Um, and once we had this huge sheet, we kind of identified seven categories that we thought, okay, these are the main categories, maybe a couple bonus categories. And we thought this could be an app. Like, where do you need them? You don't want to go on a website. You want them in your phone. And so we uh, created Conversation HQ. Actually, our CEO is the one who coded and, and wrote the app. So I'm very grateful to him. And it's free. It's Conversation Let's see, conversationhq.app. You can get it for free and it's a, a um, app you can put it on. You can use it on the web or you can use it on your phone. Perfect. And when would you suggest people pull this out? Is it for networking? Is it with friends? Is it just kind of like a get to know each other? Like when, when do you think this is best used? Okay, great question. So you could do it based on scenario, like before you go to a networking event or before you go on a date. But actually, I would rather you open this when you feel a little bit anxious about seeing someone. So if you're like, oh man, like I haven't seen this friend in so long, like what are we going to talk about? Or, oh, like this is my third date with this person and I really like them. I'm so nervous. Or my gosh, I have a one-on-one -on -one with my boss and I want to make sure like we have a little bit of bonding time at the start. That's when I want you to open the app. My entire goal with this app is to combat anxiety with purpose. I feel like if you go into any interaction with, you know, two or three conversations in your back pocket, it just takes down your anxiety and gives you purpose. Awesome, Vanessa. Great tip. I'm super excited to check that out. That's something that's going to be game changing for a lot of people and your work in general has been game changing. So I'm really grateful that you're providing it for everyone, that you're providing it free also. I mean, that's really special that you're just genuinely trying to support people in their endeavors to understand others. So that's, that's really commendable. I'm looking forward to all of the work that you come out with in the future. And please let me know how I can support. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. So I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. And for everyone who's listening, you know, self-compassion, uh, go easy with yourself. Anytime you try one of these strategies or tips or conversation starters, remember that you're trying something new, you're flexing a new muscle. And um, that's how we really grow and build connections. So thank you so much for having me. Beautiful. Thank you. Man, that was awesome. She really is the best at what she does. And it was amazing to hear more about her work. We heard about her fascination with people, why she's dedicated her life to understanding others, and how she discovered a few universal truths we all share. Then we get into her amazing book, Captivate, and had a great conversation about how to connect with people, speaking to their five-factor personality traits and their preferred receiving values. Then last, we touched on her latest project, a conversation app called Conversation HQ which is a free resource for anyone looking to have more impactful and real conversations. You can get the app at conversationhq.app or by clicking the link in the description of this episode. You can also learn more about Vanessa's work in Science of People by visiting the website, which is also linked in the description. Thank you for your attention today. I know there are a lot of things you can be doing and I'm honored you spent your time with me. 
If you haven't yet, I'd really appreciate if you went in and gave the podcast a rating and a review. It'd really help in getting more people to benefit from the content. That's it for today. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time on Self-Improvement Daily.